This episode is sponsored by Blinkist. Now, one of our favorite books is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. In that, he talks about the Eisenhower Matrix, which is like a decision matrix of the type of tasks, the type of activities that you do. And it splits them up in urgent versus important. We spend so much time in the urgent quadrants. We're thinking about all the things that we have to do right now, whether it's replying to that email, answering that phone call, completing that end of month report. We're so caught up in the urgent that we never really cross across into the things that are not so urgent, but are vitally important. And one of those things that is the perfect mix of not urgent, but important is learning. And Blinkist is a great way that you can learn more in less time. Because Blinkist is for anyone who really cares about learning, but doesn't have a lot of time. What it does, it takes the key ideas and insights from over 4,000 non-fiction bestsellers in more than 27 categories and puts them into 15-minute text and audio explainers. And right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com forward slash what you will learn to start a free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com forward slash what you will learn. Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg, small changes that change everything. We've done, in the past, we've done mini habits. We've done atomic habits. Now, it's time for tiny habits. I think tiny's, what, a bit bigger than atomic, but a bit smaller than mini? Yeah, and I think all the habits books, they rip (laughs) off big BJ, Uncle BJ here to some extent. And it's important because almost everybody wants some kind of change in one area of life. It might be eating healthier, losing a bit of weight, exercising more, reducing stress, better sleep, meditation. People want to be better parents or a better partner. We all want to be more productive at work and more creative. But at the same time, things are going downhill. We've got people becoming more and more obese. There's sleeplessness and there's a lot more stress being reported by the media. So if you just look at that, there's a seriously painful gap between where everybody wants to be and where they are right now. Yeah, there's a huge disconnect between what we want to do and what we actually do. And this gap can be blamed on a lot of different things uh, of the external environment, but most people just blame it on themselves. They say they're not good enough or they're too lazy. It's your fault. We say, shame on shame on me. I, I wish I could do this, but I just don't have the willpower to be able to do it. But thankfully, BJ's here to say, hey, it's not your fault. Anybody can create positive change. You just got to use the right method. Yeah, most people I think by now have figured out that change is hard, but the problem is with the approach itself. It's not It's not really you. You got to think about it this way. If you tried putting together a chest of drawers you got from Ikea with faulty instructions and parts missing, you'd probably feel pretty frustrated, mm. but you probably wouldn't blame yourself on this. If you got the right instruction manual, um, it'd be a different story, unless you're a bit like me, and even with the <laughs> instruction manual, I'd find a way to cook it. <laughs> That's it. Uh, in that case, you should be blaming the manufacturer. They were the ones who gave you the wrong tool or missed a part or did the instructions in the wrong order. BJ says that that's the same as habits. The problem that we can't change our habits is because we haven't got the right instruction manual Um, and BJ, he's the man, he's worked it out. He's got the model that will allow anybody to change anything. So, BJ himself, he was tinkering with his own behaviors that he wanted to incorporate into his life and he tried a whole bunch of wild, silly things and surprisingly, a couple of the weirdest ones worked. So, one thing that really stuck was every time he went to take a piss, he did two push-ups just leaning against the wall, not like floor push-ups, just leaning on the wall, two push-ups. 
And for whatever reason, that was the one habit that he actually got to stick. So using that, he worked out the model. Six months later, he'd been able to significantly change his life. He lost 20 pounds. He felt healthier. He felt stronger. He was working more productively and he was more effective than ever before. So any behavior you're looking to change, there's really three variables that we can look at and essentially try and optimize for your own benefit. So luckily, the fog man, he's unlocked this mystery. And using this, you can go from flossing your teeth to running marathons to meditation or anything like that. It means you can stop blaming yourself and your character and use the model to change the things that you want to adopt in your own life. So the model, the formula is B equals MAP. So behavior equals motivation, ability and prompt. So a behavior happens whenever those three elements of motivation, ability and prompt come together and converge at the same time. So first, we're looking at motivation. BJ says it's like your party animal friend, great for a night out, you know, get on the dance floor and say all the gags, get everyone laughing, get everyone moving and all that, but you're not going to rely on this party animal to pick you up from the airport on the following Tuesday morning. So you get to understand its role and limitations and then pick behaviors that don't rely on this fickle friend because you can get extremely motivated. You might watch a, a movie or a YouTube video or you go to Tony Robbins or something, you get his motivation through the roof to start something, and before you know it, it's gone. So, a couple of facts about motivation. Firstly, motivation is complex. It comes from a a range of different areas. Firstly, it can come from yourself, so it's something that you already want to do. So, say you've already got this inbuilt drive. As just as humans, we have this drive to contribute to society, whether that's working in a meaningful job or finding a partner, finding a mate, building a family. Our motivation can come from ourselves. Another form of motivation is through the carrot and the stick. The carrot is when you've got something dangling over your head, like a, a bonus or something for your work. You're more motivated to do the actions in the direction of a carrot or a stick. If you're going to get punished, you're going to get slapped up for doing something wrong, then you're motivated not to do that behavior. And the third place you can come from is the context, so the environment that you find yourself in. So, say you go to a charity auction, the drinks are flowing, uh, there's a charismatic host pumping up the energy in the room, uh, you might feel in this context quite motivated to bid, to donate, to get in on the action. Whereas if you found yourself in a different context, you might not be buying that dodgy donation that somebody uh, put up for the bids because nobody would buy it. So they thought, let's just give it to the charity. And sometimes these things don't align. Say if you've got this personal motivation, intrinsic kind of drive to go out there and start running and your goal is to run a marathon. But if the context is wrong on Friday night at five o'clock when uh, you're at the pub or something, a bit of an extreme example, (laughs) then these things aren't aligning and it's not likely that you go for a run at that moment. Yeah, that's it. Or even the the context of the Friday night could really screw up your personal motivation of that Saturday morning Um, or say, you know, you want to... You want to cut sugar out of your diet, but at the same time, you bloody love chocolate cupcakes. So, these different motivations are really competing with each other. Another fact about motivation is that it can come in waves. So, there can be big spikes of motivation where you're really pumped up and you can do those really hard things in one foul swoop. If there's a car on, there's always that story, you know, there's a car on top of a child, the mother comes in and lifts up the car and saves their kid, which is like you wouldn't be able to do it normally, Mm. but they're extremely motivated in that one short wave. I've always hear about this story of this mum, this mum going to save her kid from this car. But is it real? Despite all, oh, yeah, even in the world now with iPhones and everything, no one's still catching this moment. <laughs> but it delivers a, a really good point. You can get these huge drives of motivation to get you to do some extremely difficult tasks. The only thing is, as you said, 
uh, it can be fickle. So while you can get motivated in this one big spike for for one day, you can go running. Uh, it's sort of hard to rely on that to constantly try to give yourself this massive wave of motivation to do hard things. So it's not a really sustainable way to get you to do new habits. So now we understand motivation a little bit better. We can take a certain steps to make sure that we're able to design new behaviors despite the upside and downsides of motivation. So the first thing we need to do is get clear on your aspirations. So that means writing down what you want to do, your goals. You might pull out your vision board. You might uh, visualize. You might do anything like that to get clear what the hell you want to do. So for me, for example, it might be losing weight stacked on a few kilos over the 12-week Melbourne lockdown um, and this is clearly something that I might want to do. So, step two after you're clear on the aspirations is to explore the different options you've got to find behaviors that will help you achieve those aspirations. Big BJ, he calls it the swarm of behaviors or the swarm of bees. So, if your aspiration is to lose weight, you got to think what are all the different types of things I can do to lose weight. So, one could be you sub out the Friday night burger for a Friday night salad. One could be you go for a run each morning. One could be you go for a swim in the afternoon. One could be you, instead of getting the Uber Eats, you get some uh, a home-cooked dinner. So, you go through all these things. And I think if you, if you gave yourself 15 minutes to brainstorm, you could think of 20, 25 different possible behaviors that could help you get to your aspirations. Mm, absolutely. And for each person, it's going to be different. But yeah, the point is to go as wide as possible about all the possible actions you could do. The third step then is to find your golden behaviors. So, if you've got a big list, you've got to arrange them on two different axes. Firstly, you've got to arrange them from high impact to low impact and then you've got to arrange them from yes, I can do this to no, I can't do this. So, there are going to be some things that uh, really make a, a big change. It might be, I don't know, eating only eating once a day instead of eating three or four times a day. That could be a really high impact. But you might think that's really, really hard to do actually. Or you might think uh, if you just have a, a snack of some celery sticks in the afternoon, that could be a low impact thing. So you've got to arrange yourself on these on this sort of axes, high impact versus low impact, easy to do versus hard to do. Yeah, it's a really interesting exercise I think because you're really brainstorming to see what are the highest leverage behaviors that are lowest hanging fruit to getting your goal. So for me, when I was looking to lose weight, there's a whole bunch of different things I could be doing that are difficult, but one very high impact, but very, very easy thing for me to do was changing my drink of choice on the weekend from a high calorie beer or red wine or anything like that and changing it to a very low calorie vodka, lime and soda. So it's almost no difference in terms of the enjoyment of the drink, but it's a very big difference in terms of the amount of kilojoules I'm consuming on the weekend, making it much more likely that I'll be losing weight. So that's your golden behaviors is the thing in that quadrant that is a combination of high impact and easy to do. Yeah, you can go around doing the low impact stuff, but that's not really going to get you to your goal very quickly. Also, you can't really force yourself to do the things that are hard to do. So your golden behaviors are going to be that perfect sweet spot uh, that allows your motivation to take over. They're going to be very beneficial in terms of driving you towards your goal, but they're also going to be easy to do so you're not relying on willpower to force yourself to do it. The second aspect we're looking at here is ability. And something that a lot of people do is they get in this cycle that makes them anxious and disappointed when they're trying to do a big goal. Um, I don't know if my mum's listening or not, but I don't want to throw under the bus too much. But yeah, every now and then she'll try and go on her own type of diet, but it's an extremely difficult one. It's not mm. just taking these small steps. It's 
this going to the gym every single day and cutting out wine completely. Mm. I mean, that's a very extremely difficult thing to do. And because of that, um, it doesn't always end up in a big success. Yeah, if you try to do any of those massive things, if you try to get up before sunrise every day, if you try to cook dinner every night, if you try to track every single penny you earn or spend, if you try to quit drinking soda entirely, if you try to run a marathon, all those things are massive, massive changes. We think that this go big or go home is the way to approach change, but as a result, people are just going to overwhelm themselves. As you say, you can probably do it for a day or two, but very soon you're going to get sick of it and you'll be back to those old behaviors. So remember, motivation is that party animal that we don't want to rely on to pick us up from the airport. But if you break things down into smaller and smaller and smaller steps, often those huge things don't get complicated whatsoever. It gets very simple and you're not relying on that motivation monkey friend. So BJ says that it turns out that whatever you want to do, whatever behavior that you found is, is going to be the most beneficial in terms of the highest impact to getting towards your aspirations, you need to scale it down to something tiny. The smaller it is to do, then the easier it is to do. And if you can start small, you can then ramp up from there. So Uncle BJ here, he went to the dentist one day and the dentist gave him a slap for his teeth. They weren't looking any good and he needed to floss a lot more every single day, which is pretty embarrassing for someone who's a behavioral scientist and you can't even floss. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, but what he found was he was motivated some days, like the days he visit, visited the dentist, but most of the time the motivation monkey was winning. So, in this case, what he did was made it very easy to do where he didn't have to rely on motivation. So, rather than floss all his teeth in a very time-consuming endeavor, he just chose one tooth and that's it. So, every day you, you brush your teeth, it's very easy to just floss that one tooth. But after a few days, that was a very easy habit to do once it was installed. So, then he kind of increased the scope of it to two to three teeth and so forth. And over time, the actual task was getting easier and easier to do so increase the scope accordingly. So that's the way that you do it. If you had said every single day I have to floss all my teeth and it's going to take me eight or nine minutes, that's not really, it takes a fair bit of motivation to start that habit. But by him just saying, hey, every day I'm going to do one tooth, takes four or five seconds, that's quite an easy habit to install and it can grow from there. I guess my version of that is recently I've been swimming in the ocean because all the pools are being closed or they're not within my radius of area that I'm allowed to go to. So I decided that I should start swimming in the ocean. Now it was bloody freezing. It was cold as shit. It was still, we're still coming out of winter. We're finally, it's warming up now. But when I first started doing this, it was freezing. So I got myself a little hat, a little uh, like a wetsuit hat thing to just keep the brain warm. Um, and if I thought at the start, I wanted to, you know, jump in the water, in the freezing cold water and swim for 2Ks, that's a bloody hard habit. But I just started as like literally just had to run out into the water as a first thing, just get in there, get cold. And then the next step up from there was, okay, I have to swim to the first sandbar. And then once I'd sort of started enjoying it, that I could swim to the second sandbar. And then once I was sort of, once that habit was ingrained, I was doing it a couple of times a week. Now, you know, up to swimming, you know, a few hundred meters or up to a kilometer a day because I started small. You still doing it? Yeah, went yesterday. Yeah, well done, man. That's uh, it's very hard. I remember I tried to do ocean swimming, but my brain was that frozen that I oh. couldn't even well, stay. That's, well, that's why I had to get the. Uh, I had a hat. I had one of those silly, <laughs> silly little. Stupid it looks hats. ridiculous. Mine's yeah. fluoro orange as well, so <laughs> so it doesn't really look that good. But because I went uh, back in May, I tried to do it when it was going into winter, and I just like I had to stop every three strokes because the brain was frozen. So I thought, well, if, at least if I can get the hat thing to keep me warm. Once you get into it, it's all right. So, the trick here is to make it as easy as possible to do. 
And again, we can optimize to make things easier and easier. One of the things you can do is just increase your skills. So for me, with ocean swimming, I'm a very poor swimmer, so I'm not even going to bother doing that. But maybe if I learn how to swim in the ocean much better, then I'm more likely to do that as a habit. Or for example, one that's really close to home is the book we reviewed, Meridia Kondo, uh, who wrote The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Before reading this book, my ability or skills in this area is probably a zero out of 10. And if you went into my home at that time, you could see why. Or my car, there was like <laughs> these new, uh, new elements of fungi growing that scientists have never seen before. But then after reading this book, my ability and my skill went to a probably a seven or eight out of 10. And because of that, my whole house is completely different. My car is different. And in this case, my motivation didn't change one bit. What changed was my ability. And because of that, I've had this new tidy mm. habit um, that has been with me ever since reading that book. And if you think about maybe another one is like, say if you want to do 50 push-ups every morning or something, that's quite hard to do. But if you just start with two or three push-ups, every time you do it, you're going to get a little bit better, a little bit stronger, and then you can bump it up to four, you can bump it up to five. So each time you're doing this habit, your skills are increasing. So at the start, it's really hard to do, but as you increase your skills, it actually becomes easier to do. The second thing you can do is get tools and resources to make it easier. So for example, if you're looking to bring your lunch to work, a healthier version of your lunch. If you don't have your Tupperware containers ready to go, mm. uh, then it's going to be difficult. It's a very simple thing, but something like that might be the difference between you taking this new habit on and not. So, going out there and buying all the tools and the accessories you need, the kitchen knives, the shoes for walking, the, the running gear, hat. the wetsuit hat, <laughs> buying the expensive meditation app, all that kind of stuff. I think there's a bit of this in the book, but a bit of that sunk cost factor as well. If you spend a bit of money, you're more likely to actually buy into the new habit. And then the third thing that we can do after we've increased our skills, after we've got our tools and resources, then we need to make the behavior tiny. So, I think this this um, example seems to come up in every habits book we do that if you want to go and run 5Ks in the morning when you wake up, then just get in the habit of putting your clothes out next to your bed uh, in the morning. So, the hardest part about getting out and going for a 5K run isn't running 5Ks. It's actually just getting out the door first thing in the morning. So, they say if you make that first bit easy, if the clothes are right there, if the shoes are next to the bed, you just roll over and pop them on and run straight out the door, that's the hardest bit done. Yeah, it's a bit of a mental jujitsu here. You got to kind of allow yourself to those days not to go for the run, to actually just put the shoes on and go to the door Mm. and then go back to bed and... Every day, all you got to realize is if I just keep doing that small thing, that means my habit's going to be installed still. So, that's the goal every day and then anything else beyond that is your bonus. So, with the FOG behavior model, B equals MAP behavior equals motivation, ability and prompt. We're up to the final element of that. So, prompts are the invisible drivers of our lives. We experience hundreds of them each day. Most of them we don't even notice, whether that's an alarm going off, a light turning on, uh, an email dropping in, a notification popping up on our phone. All of these things are prompts. Could be the stoplights turning green. That prompts you to hit the gas. There are all these things around us all of the time. Life is filled with an overwhelming number of prompts that we don't want, but there's also plenty where we do want And if you let prompts go unchecked, you could go through your whole life, your whole day just on autopilot, just going buzz, buzz in this all certain directions like a floppy little Muppet uh, who's got no control of their life and completely not in control of the reins. 
basically nothing happens until there's a prompt. So you can have as much motivation and ability as possible, but the behavior doesn't happen until that prompt gets in there. So when we're trying to create new behaviors, as uh, we've already worked out, how do we make the most of our motivation? How do we make it tiny and easy so that we've got the ability to do it? The last thing we need to do is find the prompt. What can we trigger it to? So maybe for BJ's flossing, it was something he did every day was brushing his teeth. So the prompt to do his flossing was brushing his teeth. We need to we need some kind of prompt like this to get our actions and our new behaviors underway. So looking at this systematically, there are a few different types of prompts that we can understand and use for our advantage. The first is the person prompt, and this is just relying on yourself to do the behavior. Some of these are pretty good, like your bodily urges telling you to go to the bathroom or something. If it wasn't for that, you might be in a bit of trouble and be embarrassed a lot of the time. <laughs> um, it tells you to do necessary things like eat or sleep. But for a lot of the habits we're trying to install in our life, it isn't the best thing to rely upon. Just trusting that you know somewhere in your brain that you'll just remember yourself to do this thing, but it's not necessarily always going to work. I remember when I organized for a breakfast in the morning one day and it was with a pretty big dog and I just woke up and I was going on autopilot all morning until I checked my email about 9am and of the big dog saying, where are you in the subject line? I'm like, geez, I asked that up, didn't I? Yeah, you need a better prompt for that one. Uh, other prompts we could use a context prompt, so things that are in our environment. So that could be the, the app notifications, the phone ringing, setting alarm, a colleague reminding you that it's time for the meeting, uh, the to-do list, the sticky notes. Uh, I know Big Bad BJ used an elaborate system of different colored sticky notes that are his visual prompts to get him to do stuff. Yeah, some people put their ring on the wrong finger or write something on your bathroom mirror. I remember when I was looking to take my lunch into work on most days. So my girlfriend put all this effort into it and it was very nice of her. But the first week or so, I was relying on the person prompts. And every single day, I went to work <laughs> and I forgot my lunch and it was in the fridge and it kind of went to waste. But I changed it by using a context prompt. And, uh, well, she did, I guess. But um, she put the chair in front of the door straight after she put the food in the fridge. That means every day when I went to walk out the door, there was a chair in front of the door. I'm like, oh, what's that chair doing there? And bang, <laughs> it was a prompt remember. and I got the food. We cooked it a couple of times when we were recording the podcast in your like sort of in your kitchen area and we turned the fridge off because it was humming and we didn't want the people to hear the fridge. <laughs> and right. uh, once or twice we forgot to turn the fridge back on and it was until we, we put I think we like chopped a thong inside the door handle just to remember that when you remove the thong it's just like a good context prompt to remember that you gotta do something. I think there was one time though you just took the thong out and threw it away, forgetting yeah. about the prompt. But <laughs> that's I guess that was just one time where it didn't work. I wasted a lot of food <laughs> in these uh, in not using prompts correctly. And I, actually, I should just also clarify the Aussie version of a thong. We're talking about <laughs> that go on your feet as well for any international listeners who are a bit confused by what we do after the podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's a few words like that I think slip through <laughs> that aren't necessarily understood so well. Third, we've got action prompt. And this is the behavior you already do that you can remind yourself to the new habit you want to cultivate. So, it's just slapping new behaviors on top of other behaviors. So, that's the things that you're doing all the time. So, for BJ, it was brushing his teeth. You're brushing your teeth twice a day. So, that's like a good thing that you can tether a new behavior on the end of. It could be just after you eat. So, every morning you have breakfast, you can whack a new behavior on the other end of that. Or it could be that when you check your emails, every time you check your email, you think you want to whack a new behavior on the other end of that. So these actions that you're already doing anyway are great areas that can be prompts for new behaviors. I used this uh, a few months ago and it's one of the best things I've done in terms of habit creation 
since then. And all I did was I moved my phone to the other end of the room. And the reason I did this was because I was scrolling every morning on, on Facebook and I checking emails and all that horrible way to start the day. So by putting it on the other end of the room with the alarm on, I had to get up straight away, no scrolling and do that. So that was the first habit I did is getting out of bed when the alarm went straight away. But the next habit I installed was no social media whatsoever until 8am. So as soon as I picked it up, I realized, all right, the second habit's not this. Then the third habit I installed on top of that was exercise straight away. And then the fourth was meditation. So through all of this, I had this string of behaviors and up until 8am, I had an incredible routine. I'm speaking in past context here, aren't I? <laughs> had. I'm still I'm still doing it probably five out of seven days. I let myself go a bit on weekends. But it's just an example of how you can just install behaviors on top of others. It's probably the easiest way to do it, I think. So that simple recipe for installing new tiny habits is you just think after I do something, I'll do my new habit. So after whatever that anchor is, I'll do the new thing. So for BJ, it was after I pee, I will do two push-ups. Or after I brush my teeth, I will floss one tooth. So it's quite easy to then link these old anchors, our previous action or context prompts, and then add in our new tiny, simple uh, thing that we don't need motivation for as our new behavior to tack on the other end. So the takeaway of this episode is behavior, you could understand motivation, ability, and prompts. So when it comes to motivation, brainstorm everything you could possibly do about your goal and think about the lowest hanging fruit. What things have the highest leverage that are realistic that you could start doing straight away? The second thing was ability. So you can increase your skills. I recommend buying a few books on the area that you're most interested in, read some blogs, look up some YouTube things, whatever it might be. Also, get tools and resources. Don't be afraid of spending a few bucks on things that will help you get you over the line. And another part of that is making it as tiny as possible so it's achievable to do and to be able to do consistently over time. And then finally, we got prompts. So you can whack a thong in front of the door or anything like that to remind you to get down and do 30 sit-ups, whatever it might be. Might be using your phone for good prompts rather than all the bad prompts it's pulling you around with or just lynch the new behavior on top of existing behaviors. And that's the fog behavior model. We got a review come through from Apple Podcasts from Jack's Rex. Relatable five stars. Have read a lot of these books they're reviewing and summarizing, so was looking to be reminded and maybe given a fresh perspective. Happy to say that these guys tick the boxes. The best bit, it's in Australian. No whiny, sanitized, sepo, self-righteous, preachy nonsense. Just honest, self-deprecated thoughts. Well done, fellas. Jax Rex, appreciate those thoughts. Appreciate that we're not bringing the whiny, sanitized, uh, righteous, preachy nonsense. Happy that we're ticking those boxes of honesty and self-deprecation. We love reading these reviews. We love getting that extra little boost, that extra little fuel that comes from reading positive reviews uh, or negative reviews as well to let us know what to do better. Uh, if you could leave us a review would really appreciate that or if your podcast player doesn't let you leave a review shoot us a quick email podcast at what you will learn.com or on the website what you will learn.com hit that contact us button and just send us a little note we love it and it keeps us going